What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O and host of the What to Know podcast show. I'm sitting here in our W2O offices uh, on a gray afternoon um, with someone I think you're going to really appreciate getting to know. Her name is Shweta Vikram. Welcome, Shweta. And she is the author. She's an author and wellness entrepreneur. Um, We'll find out more about what that means in just a second. But thank you for joining us. Good afternoon, Aaron, and hi to everyone who's tuning in. It's it's such an honor to be here, um, just walking down San Francisco and then getting into your beautiful office. And it's it's I just love the vibe here. So thank you for having me. Well, thank you for coming. And um, it was nice because you're East Coast based, and so fun that you were able to be out here to do this live. And I would be um, I'd be remiss if I didn't thank our friend Laura Mignot, who was the one that introduced the two of us. So thank you, Laura, if you're listening in. She's fabulous. She is fabulous. Um, she will be on the show at some point in time. I've, I've been trying to schedule something with her. But anyway, I do want to dive into your title because I gave the abbreviated version. Uh, there's a more fun version that you have on LinkedIn. And, and I'll just read this so people can hear this that, you know, according to your description, you're an award winning author of 12 books and uh, kudos. You have a 13th book, uh, a deal in, in the works. Uh, you're a content creator, speaker. Empower of Women, which I think is particularly needed these days, uh, and CEO and founder of Nimi Life. So it sounds like you have a lot on your plate. How do you find the time to balance all these different activities? Um, it's about prioritizing. I know it, it sounds very technical when I say this. Um, it's that fine line between, you know, an empty mind can be a devil's workshop and, and what Socrates said that, oh, the barrenness of a busy life. So it's, it's just knowing uh, what your priorities are and for me, it's very clear in terms of personally and professionally what matters the most. And so then then it's not difficult. It's sometimes it's some weeks are devoted to more writing and less wellness work or some days are divided. So it, it works itself out. And when you love what you do, it doesn't feel like a chore. Well, I like that answer. And actually, I'm a big believer in finding that balance, right? And then prioritizing and um there are a lot of things that we can do, and then there are the things that we should be doing, right? And part of that has to align with how passionate we are and what it puts into the world. Speaking of passionate, you have written 12 books. Uh, the most recent is titled Louisiana Catch. You just gave me a signed edition. I'm looking forward to digging in. But for those that um, haven't heard of it or haven't had a chance to read it yet, tell us a little bit about that book. So... Um before people start making any guesses, it's fiction, so it's made up. It's about Ahana, who is a sexual assault survivor from New Delhi, and um, she ends up organizing the largest feminist conference in New Orleans, and in doing so, there are two men who come into her life, Rohan Brady and Jay Dubois. They're both men from Louisiana, one of the reasons the book is titled Louisiana Catch, and um, one of them ends up being like a true colleague, her love interest, and a partner, and the other guy ends up being a and you know predator, online predator. So th- the book talks about Ahana's journey, and it also I one of the things that I do is work with survivors of rape and trauma. I teach yoga to them, and um, something that stayed with me when I was researching this book and writing this book that. You know, once you've been victimized, once you've survived abuse, I see this with my clients on the yoga mat, it, it makes you vulnerable. 
And the online world, it's so beautiful, but imagine you enter the online world from a place of vulnerability and what happens. So the book explores quite a few very socially relevant topics. And then there is humor, there is banter, and it's, you know, young romance, all of that. Well, it sounds fascinating. And as a father of uh, three children, two of which are girls, um, I will probably particularly appreciate this and may even uh, take some pointers out to make sure I can keep them extra safe. Um, I'm going to ask the second part of this question a little differently because I'm always fascinated by it. You've written 11 other books, and again, you'll write a, a 12th on top of the the, um, the Louisiana Cash that you have out there. How do you come up with the content? And I'm going to make a music analogy. I think a lot of artists come out with sort of their best album as their first album, and then a lot of them struggle to ever put anything out there that matches that, right? Because it really takes that effort you had you know probably your first book in you for a while and you finally sat down and wrote it so talk a little bit about you know how are you inspired enough to create content for 12 different books and how much of a thematic presence is there across those books so i attribute my creativity and productivity more than creativity to my corporate background i'm used to deadlines i'm used to things need to be done on time so even though i'm an artist at heart i'm not i do not have an artistic temperament so things have to be done. I, I'm very deadline oriented and that's just been my training. So depending on, because I write in all three genres, which is fiction, nonfiction and poetry, depending on what I'm writing, it's, it's almost like a topic picks me, then it picks a vessel. So it's not that I'll sit and say, oh, I'm going to write a novel. It's, it's almost like I'm consumed by something. And then when I'm consumed, I, I let that brew a little bit and stew a little bit. And then I figure out, oh, it wants to come out in the form of poetry. So the, hence my wellness practice ties into it. You know, when you're aware, when you, when you shut out the noise outside, you can listen to your voice inside. And I think meditation and my yoga practice, they all help me really figure out. So the corporate backgrounds helps with the productivity and the wellness practice with, um, and there is, to your point, there is like this theme running. It is very much about multiculturalism and empowering women. There's a wellness angle always, might not be very literal, but there is, you'll see like, my characters love to work out or, you know, they have, or maybe they want to go to a yoga class or they're runners or something of the sort. So a little bit of the writer does show up in the book. Um, so those are the running themes and a lot of food. I'm a foodie myself. So there is food and it's like how you tell these stories. And um, I remember this one time I was at a writing residency in Portugal. I'd gone to Portugal to work on a different book, but I got there and I was just appalled by what was happening with the environment there. They were cutting down trees um, and they, they were just the way the director said something about, oh, it's of no use, it's got old. And I don't I don't believe he meant it that way. It was a cultural nuance, but it, that just hit me hard and I ended up writing a book about drawing uh, ecofeminism, like drawing this parallel between how women, when they age, they're treated, and it's so similar to trees. Um, so it's it's also just mindfulness and paying attention to the world around you because there's stories everywhere. You just have to shut down and pay attention. That's a fascinating analogy, and I'm not going to just let that drop because actually I I like that a lot, and it reminds me a little bit of uh, the book by Shel Silverstein called The Giving Tree. And it, it doesn't make the comparison to women, but I think you do get that aging analogy because the boy during the book, it's about a boy in a tree and, you know, the whole life the, the boy um, takes from the tree and the tree is fine with that because the tree feels like I want to give to this boy. And as he grows up, he takes more and more and eventually cuts the tree down. And uh, it is interesting to think about the fact that um, 
it's not when the tree gets old that it's useless, right? Just like a, a man or a woman gets useless. Right. There are different needs right. for them or different purposes for them. Uh, but I really like that a lot. I'm going to think about that one some. Okay. Th- thank you. And it was just very interesting. I remember seeing like this oak tree and I, you know, my understanding of oak is more about cork that goes in wine bottles because I love my wine. Um, it, and it's, you know, when you're so close to nature, you realize there was this tree and it was stark naked. And to me, I'm a poet at heart. So I'm like, it just looked like it was uncomfortable. I don't know there's an, if there's any other way of explaining it. And I'm like, why is this tree so naked? It looks very raw. It's as if like a human being is standing there. And they're like, this is what we need to do. We need to shave it till it looks naked. And then they go on to make these corks. And I'm like, this is so similar. It's like th- that whole, th- it's an analogy completely to what happens to humans as we age. Um, and, you know, it's such a use and throw society. We we don't realize this until you're on the other side of age. Like, you know, when you're 16, you're not going to notice that. Uh, but you will start noticing as you get older. It's like, wow, it's that mindset and there's this insensitivity in these conversations because the person who's saying this is probably not at the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, and as someone that just turned 50, it's interesting as I feel like I, in many ways like I did in my 20s, right? Although I'm cognizant of the fact that um, I'm not there and I am interested in like the interactions I have with people and trying to be sensitive to that, but also trying to be relevant, right? And a lot of what I do is, you know, trying to listen to my kids' music, so I'm paying attention and paying attention to what's culturally relevant. And, you know, I don't jump in and adopt things willy-nilly because I think that can seem silly sometimes, right? Like I'm not dressed like I'm a 20-year-old hipster. But at the same time, I do try to see, you know, from a culture perspective, new social platforms, you know, how people are talking about things or whatever. And and I think that's uh, critically important. No, I, I couldn't agree more. Like staying relevant, like you said, it's so poignant. It, and we all find different ways to stay relevant. We do. Um, and speaking of, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because we've talked now sort of about your general content and, and your writing because you do write for things like the New York Times and other publications. But I want to get into the health and wellness piece because I know a lot of the people that are listening in are going to care about that. And so why do you think there's such a focus on health and wellness as of late? It sort of feels like all of a sudden, and by all of a sudden, I mean over the last three or four years, healthcare companies, media, everyone's started to swing into that preventative and how do you get out and do your steps and eat right versus really worrying about, you know, what happens on the other side when it's like you've ignored all the problems and now you have to go to the doctor and you have to get this fixed or that fixed. Um, as someone that's spent a lot of time writing about that, you know, when what was the the turning point? So there were a um, couple of reasons. I lost my mom very suddenly a few years ago and to cope, I turned to yoga. Like I had been practicing yoga up until then, but it was like a I had a very uh, selfish relationship with yoga. I would show up on the mat and would my body leave. I wasn't living yoga off the mat. Um, and and I was like, okay, this is not, I'm doing disservice to my mind. Like sometimes I would leave the yoga studio much angrier than when I had entered. So one one was that, and the as a writer, I couldn't stand the stereotype like all artists need to be broken and we need to be in pain and you know need to bounce off of walls and be in unstable relationships and some of us go to end our lives by the time we turn 40 and I'm like who came up with this hogwash but then when I started to look into it uh, there are enough studies that prove that writers more than other creative professionals are predisposed to um, a much higher probability of being diagnosed with depression bipolar disorder um, and not enough was being done 
and, and not to say that I'm doing that, but I'm just saying like not enough conversations happen. Even within the artistic community, people wanted to be in denial, at least the people I spoke with. So the, the wellness aspect, because it's part of my profession, it was also personal. So um, and it just felt I've always because I have a nutrition background, so I've always been very curious about what do we put in our body? But it's also thoughts, not just food. That's where the holistic mindset comes in. You could be eating the best farm-to-table meals, but if you're constantly angry, you're going to get acid reflux. Um, so it's just how does the mind-body thing work from, from, um, from, for people like you and I who don't live inside caves, like you know, modern people like with day-to-day -day responsibilities. So how does wellness, how is that inbuilt? Like if you just have five minutes, you know, you have a wife, three kids. If you just have five minutes in a day, how do you take better care? Because that's what I needed. You know, I don't have a, that type, kind of availability or access to time where I can take like two weeks off and go meditate inside a cave. That's not my reality. And I realize a lot of people, that's not their reality. So that was another reason. And I feel it's also very generational. Um, you know, like baby boomers, for instance, they didn't have as much awareness. The world wasn't as global. So they knew what they knew, the TV dinners or, you know, America during depression. And it's the same thing across the world. There were different scenarios, but like the world wasn't global. So now in a global world, you see, oh, you know what, maybe Mediterranean diet might work. Or maybe turmeric from the Indian cuisine is a good thing. So there's also exposure. People are traveling more. And then this mindset of what if I take better care of myself? People are living longer. So there, it isn't that, oh, by the time I'm 30, I'm going to be dead in any case because there's no, uh, you know, medical science isn't evolved enough. It's none of that. There's the sense of responsibility. Um, and it's also like from from a corporate standpoint or from a healthcare provider standpoint, it's, it's also cutting down costs, right? Like there's so much pressure on the healthcare system right now. And if we all just made better decisions about what we ate, just a little bit of exercise, just more awareness. And I feel like Generation X and then the millennials, like they're bringing this wave, uh, whether it's the change in how we eat or how we exercise or how we live. It's it's a combination, again, of mind body. So there is it's not just a trend. I just feel like I, the same people I spoke with when they were in the 20s were drinking till four in the morning. Now they are the people who drink apple cider vinegar. So I feel like it's also you evolve and there's also more access to disposable income. Yeah, that's good. That's a, a, a good multi-layered answer. And I hadn't thought as much about the global piece and the awareness where you know our kids are growing up and they do have access to all sorts of programming via YouTube and Snapchat, et cetera. And that you are able to pull, you know, from the best of, but it does sound like you're a believer of the fact that this probably has been happening and bubbling up more, and maybe we're just more aware of it recently. Um, and part of that has to do with millennials being a little bit more conscious. And I think there's an element uh, to that where I think corporations, especially in this day of, you know, slight craziness from a political perspective, that corporations are stepping up. I'm not sure if you watched the Oscars last night, but um, anybody that did, I think you saw a noticeable turn both in the commercials as well as in the programming itself where there were a lot more uh, diverse looking faces, right? There were a lot more uh, interesting points of view and it wasn't like the same old sort of 50 plus year old actors, many of which white, many of which male that were going up to accept or talk or whatever. And they even broke uh, tradition and had no host last night, which had to do with um, the original host sort of falling out of favor for some anti homophobic comments. Um, but it was interesting to to watch that happen. And I feel like a lot of this is 
the millennials pushing and saying, I want more cause related and companies hearing that. And you saw, like I said, a lot of the ads last night were quite heartwarming, right? Telling very nice and personal stories. And again, as a dad of, you know, two daughters, like anytime I can see that they had one, I'm, I'm forgetting who it was, but it was really celebrating all these breakthroughs with women in sports and sort of pushing the envelope and being powerful and how 10 years ago that just wasn't in vogue. Right. And it's so nice to see that change of thought. Oh, absolutely. Like last afternoon, uh, my husband and I were at my cousin's for lunch. And so their daughter was uh, visiting them. It was so interesting. My cousin, my cousin is like in her early 50s. And she was telling us there's so many things that she learns from her millennial daughter, even whether it's like, oh, let's give paleo a try. Um, she's like, you know, I've cooked a certain way and this makes sense to me. But the daughter will be like, no, you know what, maybe these are the kind of greens you need on the plate, just that much protein. So I also feel like one has to give credit to parenting these days where there's this openness um, in terms of where parents are willing to listen. You know, you're a millennial and you come with your own set of wisdom. It, that's not always been the case uh, where, you know, a lot of people who've been older, they think, you know, they have the experience. But right now, 16 year old might know a lot more about many things than I would at double their age. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I think uh, I try to do that. You know, we talked about that a minute ago and it is there has always been that like, I'm an adult and I know better. And kids don't always understand that while I may not know everything, right? You may not know everything. We do have more experience, more context, but I am a big believer in I can learn things, right? And if I listen and I, I truly listen, not just pretend to listen, you can actually get this new wisdom that comes from all of the exposure they have to a lot of things that we were never exposed to growing up. And it's, it's incredible because it comes, like when I was listening to my niece yesterday, I ended up talking to her the most. And I was, it's because it comes from a place of conviction and honesty. They're not doing this to impress anyone. And like it's incredible about the millennials. Like they believe in something um, and they go after it. And I, I heard that. I've seen her at the other extreme. And then now that she's taken charge of her life all through wellness, it's incredible the kind of information that she was sharing or how she wanted to spend. She went to a wellness convention on a Saturday morning. I'm like, when I was your age, I was probably <laughs> returning from a party or a yeah, bar at that yeah, hour. So yeah. that was pretty cool and a big eye opener for me. That is very cool. Um, we just talked a little bit about this in terms of ads on the Oscars, but any companies that you're seeing right now that are doing a particularly good job in the health and wellness space, maybe outside the box thinking? Uh, so I love um, Calm, the app. I use it every day. I recommend it to all my clients. And Headspace is good too. It's Calm just works for me. It's very organized in the way they offer. And I feel like health and wellness, it's, it can be sort of divided into, you know, like the mind space, the body space, even in the mind space, mental healing of food. So I also appreciate Do You Yoga, Cure Joy, Well and Good, uh, Mind Body Green um, for content. It's, it's very accessible and you know there is credibility in the information out there because that's the other problem. Every, the problem with um, access to online media is everybody thinks they're entitled to an opinion and it's fine, they can be unless it starts to affect somebody negatively. And health and wellness is that space. Like people come up with stuff, they just say things and you, if you're that impressionable age or if you're going through your own vulnerable space in life, it can be a little bit iffy. So I really do like uh, these spaces. Well, that's a good point because I think the FDA oversees a lot of the drugs that you know people put into their bodies, but there has been this gray area both with um, nutrition and supplements all the way through to health and wellness where 
especially when you get into the homeopathic uh, options, there's no one maybe keeping them honest. So in this day where we have to be careful of, you know, air quotes, fake news. Right. Um, but we also have to be careful of people who maybe don't have malintention putting things out there that aren't really based in fact, and maybe it worked for them, or maybe they had some sort of skewed science behind it, but it really isn't. So finding trusted sources is, is really a good point. Right, like, you know, kale was this big trend, and there are people who ended up with kidney stones. So not knowing it, and that's why I love Ayurveda, which is this ancient system of healing, uh, Indian system of healing. It's like a medical system which is 10,000 years old, and it talks about customizing. Like just because scale works for one person doesn't mean the same quantity will work for another person. We cannot any longer, and that's another trend that I noticed in health and wellness today because there's this whole amalgamation of holistic with the functional medicine practitioners. Um, there's customization. Everybody who has a headache might not require a Tylenol. Um, nothing against Tylenol, that's the only example because I have that in my bag. Um, it, you know, it's customized, like, so where is that headache coming from? Why do you have these headaches? Or why does someone have a stomachache? It's not just about nipping it, it's just understanding the root cause of it. So these conversations um, are very important and I feel like we hear more of them today where people are curious about, okay, and Western science is, Western medicine is beautiful, it's so great for crisis. Like if you need a surgery, you need a surgery, you know. But okay, so going forward, how do we make sure that we don't need to have another surgery? Can I do something with my lifestyle? And then that's where the holistic wellness aspect comes in, which is beat mind through and body through yoga, meditation, or nutrition, then through food. Like, And then there's this whole research about how what we eat impacts how we think, and hence our belly is called the second gut for a reason because 80% of the serotonin is produced there. So all these conversations are coming up now and I can just imagine how beautiful it'll be like 10 years from now where it's not the minority that's talking. Majority of people will have access to knowledge like this. Well, I love it because you <clears throat> pretty much answered my second question as to what's coming. But I really love it because you talked about this idea of it's sort of what is old is new. And by old, I mean really old, right? There's a right. reason why uh, a sort of system that's 10,000 years old, you know, it, it's the looking at the Eastern sort of philosophy and Eastern religion, right? There are a lot of time proven methodologies and tactics and um, ways of sort of balancing mind and body that I think we got away from that we are getting back into. So a good reminder that, that these will be things to come. And I also love the idea of customization. I've noticed a lot of people that talk about successful diets and workouts are understanding that we all have different bodies and different reasons for things happening. So right. being able to address that and know how to, um, you know, work out to be more mindful, to eat different food, to take different medicines, all of those are critical in, in making sure that we find the right solution. Right. And it's also, um, there's a lot of radicalization in when it comes to food. People have certain faiths in terms of whether, whatever the eating choices are. That's the one place I feel like a little calming down might help. To your point, but again, it's customization. Sometimes, you know, you have this belief system that I don't want to eat a certain way, but if your body requires that, what do you do? Um, so it's also paying attention to everything can't be so radical. How you approach wellness, it has to come from a much more nurturing perspective. Yeah, no, and I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I do want to keep rolling and move into something that's a little bit more personal about you. And this is the section where I ask guests the same three questions. And the first is, what's something about you that people don't know about that you're willing to share? Um, 
so I just recovered. Like I had this bout of crazy, a real crazy illness, and I'm on the mend now. But before that, and I'm not allowed to do headstands right now. But I had a trouble. Like I had a problem. My husband had to just like hold me back. I would see empty space, literally turn my body upside down. Um, and it's it's something like you could we could just be having a normal conversation. Like that looks like headstand space, and that's my way of just like finding my center. But it was kind of crazy. Like airplane aisles headstand so yeah that's uh, it's a crazy fact about me my love of headfans and shimmies i can break into a dance move anywhere <laughs> the less the second one is less uh surprising that first one i i think it would be quite uh cool to see you just you know break out and do one at an airport <laughs> or the aisle at an airplane or whatever so thank you for sharing that one um i do also like to help our readers or listeners you know find good books right You've certainly written a lot, so I would encourage people to check out your books, but any recommendations you have that you'd like to share? Um, so I'll recommend, I've, you know, I read a lot um, and try to read either one or two books a week. That's been my goal. But a few books in the last couple of years that have really changed my life, one is Wealth by um, the founder of Mind Body Green, and I heard him speak, and it's a very relatable story, this you know, high-flying corporate guy, and um, he fell ill and how he turned to yoga and holistic wellness, and that's how Mind, Body, Brain came about. So it's a pretty inspiring book. I am Malala, um, as a as someone who empowers women and fights for to end violence against women, highly recommend that book. When Breath Becomes Air, that's another beautiful book about this um, doctor, um, bright career, and uh, you know he's diagnosed with cancer, but it, it's a beautifully written book. It's not all gloomy. Um, you're a badass, I really, to stop doubting your greatness and start living an awesome life. And uh, th there's so many books, I'll, I'll give one more name, The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a uh, Dash Dash. Um, these are great books, because especially for women, uh, culturally, and it doesn't matter where you've grown up, where you live, uh, you just told, taught negative martyrdom, place yourself at the bottom of the totem pole, make these sacrifices, but you're not happy doing that either. And uh, what I like about these two books is they, it, they're very practical about how to prioritize. Um, and it's great for men and women. And you know how, how we all have 24 hours and how do you say a no nicely? And it, sometimes it's, it agitates you. You don't know how to handle saying a no. And it's very liberating when you read these books about like, you live once and if you do it right it's enough but most of us don't do it right so highly recommend all of these books well they sound like great choices i've heard of a few of them so uh we'll make sure that people add those to the list uh the last question i always love to find out how people are going to answer this and you in particular um given our discussion so far so imagine you're stranded on a deserted island and uh, you can only listen to one album on repeat which album would it be and why so it'll be uh, something jazz, um, most likely Frank Sinatra. It could just and for me, I love music and I love Bollywood music and pop. Um, and but they are more seasonal in terms of if I like some music today, like the Grammys have happened three months down the line, I'll be listening to some other song on loop. But I've realized it's the same thing with Bollywood music as well. But with jazz, it, it never gets old for me. I can listen, I've been listening to Frank Sinatra, I don't know, for a decade or maybe even before that, and I still listen to the same. So I feel like there is Ella Fitzgerald. Um, there's just something very grounding um, about their music and uh, just something that speaks to my heart. And I, I tend to question everything, and that's one thing I've left. I'm like, there's some things, it's better unknown. 
Like there's there's some kind of something going on here and let's just let the magic be. Well, those are great choices. And certainly I love Frank and Ella. And I agree that there's something primordial to how they sort of perform and having listened to them a lot over the course of my life. And there's also that element of the grounding and really I, that comfort level, right, that comes right. with it, that may not come with the latest earworm or pop single that comes out. I couldn't agree more. Well, anyway, this is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O, host of the What's Know podcast show. I've really enjoyed my time over the last half hour speaking with author and wellness entrepreneur, among many other things, Shweta Vikram. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Aaron. This was an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Want more episodes of What to Know? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe on iTunes, the podcast app, the Stitcher app, or Spotify, and view the podcast page at w2ogroup.com slash what to know.